0: Hello everyone, and welcome to the Spartan Insights podcast, the podcast where we talk to one of the hundreds of alumni of the Michigan State Masters in Marketing Research Program. Today, I'm your host. My name is Jackie Weber. I'm currently the Pet Parent Insights Team Lead at Mars Pet Care, and also the Vice Chair of the Advisory Board of the Michigan State MSMR Program. I'm also coming to you from warm and sunny Nashville, Tennessee. Today, I have the privilege of speaking to one of our recent grads that I go back with quite a bit, but exciting to see him grow in his role and his passion for marketing research. So please welcome to the podcast today, Kyle Naton. Hey, Kyle, how are you?
1: I am doing excellent, Jackie. You are too kind. I'm thrilled <laughs> to be chatting with you as always.
0: Yes. And as we talked about earlier, this is your first podcast. This is my first time being a podcast host. So glad we could go through this experience together. So Kyle, can you just tell me a little bit about who you are, what your current role is, stuff like that?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm I'm Kyle Mayton. I, I, I graduated from the program just about four years ago. And I have since been working at QualSites, which is a platform for market research, primarily qual, although in, in the recent months, we've, we've definitely been seeing increased base size, you know, powered by our AI, and have rolled out a fairly quantitative offering in product consumption intelligence, which is a series of devices in the home for monitoring consumption of various products.
0: Interesting. Maybe we can talk about that a little bit later. Absolutely. Awesome. And Kyle, I have to say, because I am the pet care lady, do you have any pets?
1: I do. I live with my good friend Alphonse. He is a four-year-old cat and he actually joined me on my journey here to Chicago when I first moved. So basically acquired him at, at the same time that I graduated.
0: Oh, that's awesome. So maybe, maybe Alphonse will make an appearance on the podcast as well.
1: He tends to No, when I'm on a call. So it's very possible.
0: Very possible. Yeah. (laughs) And if you hear Diego, same thing over here, same thing over here. Well, awesome. I figured where we could kind of start is your path to research. As I've been in the industry, just in talking to many people, I've still never met anyone who woke up and said, I want to be a market researcher, or anyone in kindergarten who was like, Yeah, when I grew up, I want to be a market researcher. So Kyle, how did you find research? did you did you study marketing and marketing research in undergrad?
1: No, no, I didn't and i I will say I mean I don't know if there is a typical path to market research, but just in my conversations with folks i I'd say I certainly have an atypical path to market research i I studied psychology in undergrad and for just about five years, I actually worked in the developmental disabilities field, primarily with, with young adults with autism. So very, very much a change into market research.
0: Yeah, definitely a change. I have met some with like psychology backgrounds, but I have not heard many coming from a background working specifically with young adults with autism. That's pretty unique. When did you decide you wanted to like make a career change or come into marketing research? Because it's a little different.
1: Yeah, and I, I, you know, I loved what I did in sort of my, my previous life. But as you can probably imagine, it was a very high intensity, high stress field. And there were a series of incidents that led me to just sort of realize that there were things that I loved about the, the job in that, that field, but I, I needed to find something that was a bit more stable for my future. And the things that really stuck with me from that field were I've, I've always been intrigued by people and sort of what motivates behavior, what drives people to formulate these different habits and routines that they have. And I, I also got really interested in nonverbal communication, which all of those things sort of led me to market research and, and qualitative market research in particular.
0: Yeah, that that's so interesting. And I know too, like thinking about what kind of skills that would be transferable from, from that work to marketing research, like nonverbal communication. Like I can't imagine like the depth of understanding you would need to have to properly communicate at your last job. I know from, from talking with you as well, like I always sense that you've had this big, uh, like a really big heart, very like empathetic and empathy is a huge thing in research as we're trying to represent Our consumers and do what's best by them. Do you think there's any other particular skills you picked up working with this population that were able to be transferred to marketing research?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, a big thing is just the ability to sort of coordinate on a team and and divide and conquer, collaborate both internally and externally with folks. So, you know, in my previous world, that meant working with my team at, at the the organization that I worked with, as well as the, the parents of these students. And so it, it, I think collaboration was a big one. Patience. The Patience. Okay. So yeah, I think, you know, a lot of them were softer skills, I guess, but they were definitely skills that have served me very well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And reflecting on what you commented on it, it kind of drew you to qualitative research since you had a lot of those skills from your past job and kind of innately within you. You mentioned you work at QualSites. Are you an account manager? Is that what you said?
1: Account director, yes. An account
0: director, even better. So I do need to play a little game with you as I work for Mars Pet Care, which is a client-side research company, and you work for a supplier-side research company. Oftentimes when I'm talking to young folks, they feel like they need to decide like right now, are they a qual, are they a quant? Are they a supplier side research or should I go client side? So Kyle, can you help them out? Can you make a case for why they might want to join supplier side research?
1: I, I definitely can. Let's I think for, from my perspective, the one of the things that really drew me to the supplier side of things was the ability to work with new people, with new issues and business challenges sort of on a rotating basis. And so I can go from, you know, working with a client that's doing package testing and then all of a sudden a completely different category and client that may be wanting to do, you know, some in-home research and that can all be in the span of even just a few hours. So getting to see all of these different unique challenges that people are faced with and helping them work through that really keeps things fresh for me. I tend to get bored easily and so by keeping things constantly new and changing it really helps keep me motivated.
0: Okay. All right. So we got some variety on the supplier side. Anything else?
1: You know, I I also would just say that trying to make a decision that's a hard set decision maybe is something that students should shy away from. Because I think there's skills that you can pick up, whether it's at the client side or supplier side that are really valuable if you were to make a switch. So I think, you know, my ability to see how different organizations tackle various problems could be a really valuable skill if I was to go into the client side. Conversely, if someone's been at the client side for a long time, I think that you'd probably have a unique perspective on identifying things from within an organization that need to be tackled that I probably don't have visibility into.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And I thought about that too. I did have a little bit of supplier experience in a, in a prior internship and just kind of understanding how the sausage is made helps me become a better client partner to my suppliers because I know what kind of goes on in the back end. So um, there's definitely value to both sides, but I was just interested in your perspective. Do you have any similar feelings on like qual versus quant? Do you feel like students need to pick one or put so much pressure on themselves to pick one?
1: I really don't. I, I, I think to be a well-rounded researcher, you should be at least comfortable and familiar with both. I think a lot of people probably are intrinsically drawn to lean one way or the other, but, and, and and perhaps this is a little bit of a bias that I have working at a tech company, but I think what technology is is enabling is really a blended approach between these things. And so, you know, you can look at qual at scale and it almost becomes quantitative in, in some of the analyses that you can do. So. Being able to sort of find your strengths within both of those, I think is really important. And then just go with your interests.
0: Yeah, go with your interests. I love that. Yeah, just like we're on the same page. You don't have to make such a hard decision. You'll be learning throughout all your career. That's wonderful. So what I'm hearing from you, Kyle, is Qualsites is probably a great fit for you. You have your supplier side interests and some qualitative interest. How did you end up at QualSites? Is there any story there? or Did you just there apply is. randomly online?
1: No, so uh, it, it's actually a pretty cool story and it, it relates directly to Michigan State. Our our CEO, Nihal Advani, was giving a lecture actually as I was wrapping up coursework. And as he was speaking, I just was really struck by his passion. And then we also had the opportunity to to. You know, go through a project as a participant and see that experience. And so, seeing that front end experience of participants, and then he was showing us the back end. I was pretty impressed with with what I was seeing. And I just walked up to him at the end of the class and I said, "Hey, I love what you do. I would really love to discuss working with you." And I think within thirty six hours or so, I was I was hired as the first project manager there. <laughs>
0: whoa, whoa, whoa. You walked up to a CEO of a research company and was basically like, give me a job.
1: Yeah. I really, really wanted it. And so I figured what's the worst that he can say? No, like scram. Like I I had nothing to lose.
0: That's amazing. And that worked out so well. And how you've been at call sites for four years now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, I think if there's something that you're really interested in and passionate about, take the chance.
0: Wow. I love that story, Kyle. And hopefully that can resonate with some of the students, too, of like, sometimes it's okay to make a big move and it, it'll pay off. Because like you said, what's the worst thing? Someone says no? Absolutely. Awesome. So sticking on on qual sites, as I understand, your company is fully remote now. Correct. That's correct. All right. Did you guys start off as fully remote or during pandemic, did you switch to fully remote? Can you just talk to me a little bit about that journey?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So when I, when I initially joined, I I was asked to move to Chicago at the time. I was really like the first U S employee, but I think it, it wasn't Nahal's end goal to necessarily have a fully remote workforce. I think he, he, envisioned it as a possibility, but it wasn't something that was like a sure thing. And then the pandemic happened and uh, that was really when our business took off. And, you know, just by virtue of, of growing that rapidly in that type of environment, we found that remote work worked incredibly well for us. And it's something that we've stuck with.
0: Okay, awesome. So how was that transition for you going from like being in an office to working fully remote? Was it really smooth? Were there any challenges? What was your experience like?
1: It definitely came with its ups and downs. I don't see myself ever wanting to commune again. You know, I did not miss that, but it's it's really hard to unplug. And I see the same sort of passion in a lot of young folks that I have. For, for this industry and it's it can be difficult to step away when you know that there's work to still be done and your laptop is 15 feet away. Mm-hmm. So I did have to set some pretty hard boundaries for myself to establish a healthy work-life balance.
0: Okay, do you have any examples of some of the boundaries you set that might be able to help someone else?
1: Yeah. So when I, I started, I kept all of my communication on my phone and my computer. One of the first things that I did was I removed Slack notifications from my phone. Mm-hmm. That really helped me to step away. While still having visibility, I wasn't being bombarded with things. I did the same thing for Outlook where I, I established rules in you know my settings so that I wasn't just getting dings for every single thing. It was only the critical stuff. I also ended up moving apartments partially because i need to get out of the place i was at during the pandemic but also because i wanted to have an office i wanted to have Mm. a a door that i could close and physically separate myself from work
0: yeah that makes sense and a lot of what you're saying is, is resonating with me as well so but it seems like it's working out you said you never want to commute again is the future of work for you fully remote
1: I think so. Yeah, I I, I see value in in-person connects, don't get me wrong, but I've just seen that there's so much that you can tackle virtually. Save the in-person stuff for when it's really important and don't ask it all the time. I'm, I'm definitely much more productive working individually when I'm at home.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, I think working from home, like finally gives us introverts the office of our dreams, right? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree. I love being with my coworkers and there's just like some kinds of connections. You just can't quite get over video, but the majority of what we do can be done remotely. Totally. Yeah, totally. All right, well, I think we're in the final sprint of the podcast here, Kyle. But before we wrap up, just wondering, do you have any like, career advice for students that you wanted to share, maybe that we haven't even touched on yet?
1: You know, I I do just want to reiterate the importance of reaching out to people, exploring your interests, don't be afraid. The worst thing people can say is no. But in addition to that, I think it's really important to find a mentor. Find somebody who just, has a bit more experience, a bit broader of a view, and can give you just a, be a sounding board for your different ideas. You know, I, I, I think Michigan State has no shortage of people who I would consider amazing mentors. You know, I, I for a long time, I, I you know, would talk to Don Defoe on a very regular basis. He he helped lead me to my my current position. I look up to you as a mentor. I, you know, I've been connecting since he joined with Michael McCunis frequently okay. and, and he's a tremendous guy. So, I mean, there's, there's really no shortage of, of brilliant people that will look out for you. So I think that's really, really valuable.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. And it sounds like the Michigan state community is providing a lot of value for you as well, even after you graduated, um, still being able to tap into that community and, made it a, a good use of your life coming to the MSMR program. 100%. Great. Anything else?
1: You know, I mean, to that end, I I do just have to say, you know, I, I myself lead lectures at Michigan State probably three or four times a year, and I always invite students to reach out, ask questions, and it, it's not something that happens very often. I've, I've maybe gotten a handful of LinkedIn requests and, you know, thank you, that was interesting. But again, just don't be afraid to really show your passion. If there's something that struck a chord, let someone know. Uh, I'm always happy to connect with folks. I know most people that, that are returning to Michigan State, probably yourself included, are mm-hmm. doing it because we have a passion for it. And so, like, leverage us you know?
0: Yeah. And actually like, that's really similar to like my experience too. I come back on campus and I'll talk to a couple of like, I don't know, a couple classes of 50 plus students each and get maybe like six LinkedIn requests afterwards. And I feel like there's this myth out there, like to, to be noticed, you have to have like a big grand gesture or send your resume on a cake or, or something like that. But I mean, just knowing the classmates are not reaching out like just a a LinkedIn invite or a LinkedIn note makes you stand out. So if it's not happening to me and it's not happening to Kyle, it's probably not happening at all. So small gestures make a big difference as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Kyle, you have been an absolute pleasure to talk to today. I'm so glad Spartan Insights could be your first ever podcast. And I hope if anyone struck a passion with anyone with what you were sharing maybe they'll have the courage to reach out and perhaps even see what's going on at call sites.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, Jackie. This was a blast.
0: Awesome. We'll talk soon, Kyle.